You know, singing that song, it's, uh, it's inspiring and it's encouraging. And it's easy, it's easy to actually sing about waiting on God. It's easy to feel good while we're singing that. But man, it can be so hard to actually be waiting on God. To be in a position where you're just going, I, God, I, I just need you to show me. I, I just need to see you. God, what is I supposed to do? Am I supposed to wait here? Am I supposed to go? That part of it can be so hard. So we've been talking about decisions. We've been talking about what it means to, to be making decisions because we all have, have decisions and dozens and dozens and dozens of decisions. Every week, we just keep making more and more decisions. But how, how can we make our, our best decisions? And that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at this and, and seeing what we could be doing. We started by looking at the what and the do. And it comes to the what and the do, the what are the options that are out there for us. The do is the choices that we will end up making. It's the what and the do. Here's our options. What, what are the choices are we gonna make? But we also looked at who before do. And who is our identity. And so when you see the options, but you know what your real identity is, you know whose you are, then it's easier to make decisions because you'll know who you are. And because of your identity, it, it helps shape these default set of do's that we would be doing with our lives. And, and some of these do's become a whole lot easier to make because we know who we are, who before do. And, and really when I think about our, our who, that, that really when we think about God's will for our life, it, it really would be a whole lot easier for us to just look and see, hey, this is who God wants us to be. And so let's be this. And as we're being the who, that, that we'll discover what it is so easily to be able to do what God wants us to do with our lives. Last week, we looked at making wise choices. And, and how do we do this? How do we go about making sure that we're making the wisest choices we can possibly make with our life? How do we make these wise choices? And I shared with you three big ideas, three ways that we can make sure that we're gonna make these wise choices. And that first one is that, that we would ask God for wisdom. That we would ask him for wisdom. We got to see that there was this guy becoming king, Solomon, and, and that's exactly what he did. He said, hey God, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me a discerning heart? And, and, and as he asked God for this, God said, I'm gonna give you wisdom. In fact, you're, you're not gonna have any, any peer, no equal. There's not gonna be anybody that's gonna be a, equal to you when it comes to the wisdom that you're going to have. And God even told Solomon, he says, because you asked for wisdom, because you didn't ask for, for fame or for riches, I'm gonna give you those also. And he told, he told Solomon, and if, if you will stay true to me, I'll even give you a long Life. These are things that he told him all because he asked for wisdom. We even got to see how Jesus' half-brother, his name's James, wrote this book of James in our Bible, told us if any of us lack wisdom, we should just ask God for wisdom and he will grant it. He will give it to us. So if we're going to make wise choices, we start by asking God for wisdom. The second thing is that we would walk with the wise that we would be people that we'd go, hey, I'm gonna make sure that who I'm going to spend life with, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rub shoulders with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull myself around other people, that they're wise, and I'm gonna walk with the wise because when we do this, that this is gonna help us make wise decisions with our lives. That the, the friends we keep determines a lot about the life that we will end up living. And so we need to be careful about the friends that we are going to choose to keep. And the third thing is that we would decide and that we would take action. That, that, that's it. How, how do we make wise choices? Ask God, walk with the wise, and then decide and take action. And today, we're going to look at trust God's process. 
Trust God's process. This, this could be one of the more difficult things as a Christ follower that any of us would do would be trust God's process. And if you're somebody that you're here today and, and you wouldn't say, I'm a Christ follower, you're, you're, you're here, you're just hanging out with somebody or you're going, hey, I just really feel like I'm, I'm looking, does the church have anything for me? And you're here or you're watching online, however it is you're finding us and you're not yet convinced of who Christ is. I think by looking and seeing the, the benefits that we get by trusting God's process, I, I think this could be something that could really help you on your journey when it comes to how you're exploring and making your decision about what you're going to believe about God. Well, before we talk about trust God's process, there's a phrase that's a lot more well-known out there, and that is trust the process. Trust the process. I've got kids that are in their 20s, and and my kids have, have said this a couple of times around me recently. And they just said, trust the process. Noah says it a whole lot more than Mary, but, but, but both of them have, have, have said this. But I really think that they ended up picking this up from a friend of theirs. And, and the friend that they picked this up from, his name's Matthew. And so Matt, Matthew just, he, he says this phrase quite a bit, trust the process. And, and Matthew, I think he comes by this honestly. Because doing a little research of, of why this thing became pretty famous and popular as a phrase was in, in 2013 that the Philadelphia 76ers, that their general manager ended up making some decisions that it was really hard for the fans to trust what he was doing. That he actually let go his stars and, and he traded them away. And he traded them away so that he could have the first three draft picks. And because he was going, I, I need to rebuild. I, I need to start afresh. And, and so what was he saying? He was saying to the fans, he started saying, trust the process. That, that we've got to do some rebuilding and just trust the process. Trust what we are doing. Because when we say that to others, we're saying it because they're looking at it, they're going, I'm not sure I see the best path for. I'm not sure this is coming together. And, and Matthew, he is a basketball coach. And I think that's why he comes by this honestly. That, that he got his start at, at the University of Houston and, and coaching at the, at the lowest level. He's really a pre-coach there doing game film and doing evaluations. And, and then he moved on to another university and now he's at another university and he's actually a coach with them. And now he's actually got an NBA team that's talking with him and, and they're beginning to court him and see if this is gonna be something that's gonna be. And so he comes by this very honestly and naturally, this idea of trust the process. But I've been at his house, at his parents' house, he doesn't live there anymore, but I've been to his parents' house when, when he's saying this to his dad. And it does not go over very well <laughs> when, when, when he says, because dad's usually identifying something that he doesn't really agree that that's the best decision that, that Matthew should or could be making in that moment. And, and Matthew just says, dad, trust the process. Just trust the process. And he does, and he, and he ends up saying this, and he says it again, because he really says, hey, I know things might look bad right now, Dad, but you, you, you need to understand that I've got a plan. I'm working a plan, and, and it's all gonna come together, Dad. Trust the process. And so it's been interesting, because Brett and I have had a, a handful of conversations over that. What I think about, we talked a little bit about this last week, but when I think about our young adults today, 
I, I think about how difficult it is for them to be making decisions and, and how they can be a, a little um, skittish when it comes to making some decisions. And it, and it can even appear to the rest of us like they're delaying making decisions. That could, could look like that, especially if they're saying, hey, trust the process. And we're like going, uh, will you just make a decision and start moving? You know, but they are, they're just saying, hey, trust the process. And, and for them, I, I think that, that they take a, a lot more methodical approach to the way that they want to make decisions than what several of us, I'm in my mid-50s, and than what those my age and older. I really think about this. I think about when I was graduating from high school. And when I was graduating from high school, my, my parents, their advice to my sister and I was get a good education. You need to get a good education. And, and, and I think that they said that because they believed, I think their generation believed that a good education gives you better options in life. And, and they said this, and I, and I think about this because I think when it comes to my parents' generation, that it was kind of hit and miss who went to college and who didn't. But they were looking and seeing among their peers and going, hey, there's a whole lot more people that went to college that, that seem to have things more put together and they're more prepared financially than those that didn't. And so they're, they're really going, hey, just you need to get a good education because it's going to create options. Because I, I think for my parents' generation, I think they had limited options, okay? They did, they had limited, limited options, but you know what they had? They had immediate needs. And, and so in their generation, they, they were making decisions quickly because there, there wasn't this thing that you would just go out and get a credit card when you were 18 years old. You wouldn't do that with my parents' generation. It just, it just wasn't there. And so it was, hey, if you're gonna get that need met, you're gonna have to have income for it. And so, hey, there's limited options, there's immediate needs, and just go get a career, get things started. And then it, then it shifted to, to where my generation, it was being, we were hearing this, hey, get a good education because it creates options. But I think where we are now with young adults is that a good education isn't near as important as what it used to be in order to have great options out there for what they're gonna do. And, 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 and I know if you're a young adult right now, especially if you're sitting next to your parents, you're like going, did you hear that? You know, and, and I don't want to create a lot of problems. And I'm certainly not the guy saying nobody should. I, I'm just telling you that it's just not as important today as what it used to be. There, there, there's this drive and this work ethic and this ambition. And we're seeing people do great things even without pursuing higher education. I, I, I even told our kids that, that as they were graduating from high school, I, I sat down and told our kids a way that I felt like they could be very successful in life without ever going to school. And as I laid that all out for them, and I did, I took a few minutes and just showed them these things that I felt like they could do because we were paying for the college that, hey, we'll just give, if you, we were just to just give you this money, here's things I think you could do and you could be extremely successful. And after I finished laying all that out, I said, but that's not an option for you. You're going to school. <laughs> um, so, and it was a match for my kids. It really was for them to be able to go to, go to college. But it's just not as important today as, as what it used to be. But there's this drive and this work ethic. And here's something else that, that I can't ever remember being something that was taking place in my generation when people were graduating from college. Gap year. I, I don't remember any of my peers just graduating and going, hey, I'm just gonna take a gap year and I'm just gonna go and I'm just gonna kind of explore and I'm just gonna see. I, there's just a lot of options. It was you graduated from college and you went and found something to do. And some people were getting surprised because they're going, well, I got a degree in this, but my job's in this. You know, and, and, and it was. It, but, but when I think about 
that whole idea that, that I think for these young adults, I think it's very difficult for many of them to start jumping into a career and making career choices. And when I think about why, I, I think there's three primary reasons why young adults really struggle with and they're a little bit slower and they're like telling their parents, trust the process. You know, I, I, I think that there's three criteria, three factors that are affecting that. I, I think one of these factors is, is that they want to do what they love. I, I think they've seen our generation and they've seen too many people in, in my generation that they come home and they're bitter and they're angry and, and, and work is just demanding against them. They can't stand what they do. And, and, and it's just, they, they come home exhausted. And I think our kids are going, if that's true of us, that our kids are going, um, I'm gonna make sure that I do something I love if, I, if I'm gonna have a career. I'm, I'm gonna do what I love to do because they've seen how it's worked too hard against too many people. And they, they go, that's too important to me. That not only do they want to do what they love, and they have, some of them haven't even figured out what they love, and so they're, they're going, I'm just, I'm just gonna wait, I gotta take a gap here, I haven't decided yet what I love to do. I'm trying to figure out what would I love to do. I think the second thing for them that becomes a big major criteria is that they want to make a difference. They wanna make sure that what they're gonna give their life to and how they're gonna spend their, their, their career, their time working, is that they really wanna give themselves to something that is going to make a difference. They need to be able to see it. They need to see, I'm doing something that is making a difference for others. But they've got a third thing. And their third thing is this. I wanna like the people I work with. I, I, I wanna make sure that when I'm going to work, I'm working with people that I consider to be my friends. And, and that these are the things that have become so important to them. In fact, these become so important that, that they're willing to take a job, even jump into a career that's really not gonna pay them even a living wage. And, and, and they're okay with that. They're, they're okay with, I, I really can't live on what I'm making because they'll just turn to their parents and say, can I live off of you? <laughs> because I want to do what I love and I want to do what makes a difference and I want to like the people that I work with and I'm okay if I can't live on my own doing this. And, and, and when they share that with you and they're not seeing a positive reaction from us, it's just, uh, mom, dad, trust the process. You know? And, and, and so we, we do, we, we see some of these difficulties there. But I think as, as we look today and we look at our, our, our jobs, it's really interesting. I, shared, shared, I found a survey I want to share with you guys and that you guys will be able to find yourself in this. And it's really, this doesn't have anything to do with the message. It's just kind of a little fun part of what we're going to be doing. So in a recent Harris Interactive survey of workers in America, I'm going to share with you four things. 45% of workers say that they are either satisfied or extremely satisfied with their jobs. Wonder where you would be when it comes to that. 20% actually say that they are very passionate about their jobs. 33% would say that they feel like they're in a dead end job and that there's no more rungs that they're gonna be able to climb where they are at. It is the end of the line. And 21% say that they are eager to change careers. 
And so I don't know where that puts you, but it makes me think of this, that a life that isn't committed is a life that isn't fulfilling. That we're all looking for something to commit our lives to. And a life that isn't committed is a life that isn't fulfilling. And I want to tell you, I think there's something far better than trust the process. And what I think is far better than trust the process is trust God's process. Trust what God has in store. Trust what God is doing. Trust where he is leading. Trust God's process. You know, as we seek and try to decide of what to commit our life to, it's easier to decide what to commit our life to once we really know our purpose. And once you know your purpose, purpose gives clarity to direction. And direction gives clarity to decisions. So that's where these become so important. So I want to talk about how to prepare to trust God's process. I think when it comes to the idea of trust God's process, I think that can be very puzzling. I, I think it can be very puzzling when we go, but God's got, a, God's got a process and I'm just supposed to trust that, I'm supposed to figure that out, but I, I don't really know what that is. And so we do, we, we get this image of this idea of this puzzle when it comes to trusting God's process. And so I've got something that's here with me today that I wanna share with you guys that's gonna help us understand this puzzling thing of God's process. There's four things that I really wanna share with you that I wanna unpack that's gonna help us to see these are the things, these are the ways that we're going to trust God's process. And so the first one would be this. It would be follow God's spirit. That we would follow God's spirit. That how many of you have ever been nudged by the spirit of God? The spirit of God's talked to you. It would be all of you. The spirit of God is, is, is convicting and communicating and nudging and pulling and pushing all of us. Whether you're a believer or whether you're not. In order for us to believe, the Spirit of God was nudging on us so that we could see that God is somebody who is real and that we should be trusting our life with. And so that we need to follow God's Spirit, that we need to be doing this. That we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 20 this morning. And as we look at Acts chapter 20, we're going to be looking at just a few verses we're going to be looking at this life of this guy named Paul. He used to be Saul, but now he's Paul. And we're going to be looking at this guy's life and seeing how he is somebody that he reached the point where he could trust God's process. And so as we look at Acts chapter 20, we'll start in verse 22. Paul wrote, and now compelled by the Spirit. That this idea that he's saying is, hey, I, I've been compelled by the Spirit. I know that the Spirit's longing and wanting something from me and for me. That, that there's this compelling, that is this undeniable compelling. That the Holy Spirit of God, he, he compels us for our best plans, 
our best life. But not only does the Spirit of God compel us for our best life, but the Spirit of God's gonna compel us to be used by him so that we can help other people experience their best lives. That God will use us in the lives of other people. And the only way that we can do this and fulfill this is if we follow God's Spirit. That God's Spirit is communicating with, he's nudging us, he's, he's tugging on us. And that we've got to pause and listen and we have to choose to follow. Where is the Spirit of God leading me? What is it the Spirit of God wants of me, for me, and from me? And so that's where we get our start. We get our start that, that we would follow God's Spirit. And then we have another one here. And this one, this one can be a little challenging. Expect uncertainty. You just need to expect it. You need to expect that there's going to be some uncertainty as we're trying to, to trust God's process. We're not always going to be certain, but yet we've still got to be making these decisions and trying to make traction and, and move forward with what it is that God would desire of us. We, we, we will find ourselves at times waiting on the Lord. And, and, and sometimes we're waiting on, on the Lord and going, hey, I, what's the next step, God? What, what is it that you want me to do? And that's a, a fair way and a right way to wait on the Lord. But then there's also a wrong way to wait on the Lord. And a wrong way is where God says, hey, here's a step and your next step and your step after that. So go ahead and take, take those steps. And some of us are going, um, God, can you give me some more details? I, I want to see, see further down, down the road. And then we're waiting on God to, to give us even more details. And God's going, no, that's, that's all I'm giving you right now. Take, take those steps, and then I'll show you the next ones after those. The, the, what God wants to do is God wants to lead us. But the truth of the matter is, most of us, if not all of us, if God were to just kind of shine this beam and it would take us all the way to the end of our future and that we could see everything that was gonna happen between now and then that God wants of us, from us, for us, many of us would duck out and go, um, no, that, that's gonna be too hard. I, I can't do, I'm not willing to endure that. I, I can't go that way. And so God doesn't show us that much. God shows us our next couple of steps. Shows us the terrain that it's just a step or two ahead of where we are. What, what Paul ends up saying here, verse 22, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, don't, I, I really don't know what's going to happen, but I know where I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem, but I'm uncertain of what all is going to happen once I get there. That we can be certain that we will obey. That's where we can have our certainty. But there's going to be uncertainty when it comes to all of the steps that we would end up taking. When we look in the book of Psalms, 
we can see some of these different wisdoms that, that comes from the, the psalmists that write these things. In Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist said, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It, it's, it's a lamp. And, and when you think of what a, what a lamp does, a, a lamp isn't this incredible beacon of light. It's usually this little soft light. It just provides enough and you just get to see a little bit around that and, and that, that's what a lamp does. And, and God says, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be this, this lamp. That I'm, gonna, I'm gonna provide a little bit of light for your steps and, and you'll be able to see. The tr- you can see, take that step and take that step. But, but you've gotta come here before this light's with you to where you can see even, even more. So we've got, to, we've got to trust the process and even then there's going to be this uncertainty that's going to be out there that we need to expect. That, that we need to still be certain that we're gonna be willing to follow in the steps that the Spirit of God is leading us in and that we shouldn't forsake what we do today just because of we, we can't identify all of what the future lays out there for us. So here's, here's another thing when it comes to this puzzling thing called trust God's process. And when it comes to trust God's process, another thing that we need to do is that we need to plan on resistance. That that we need to plan on this. That that resistance is gonna come. That that we're gonna end up facing this resistance and and not only are we gonna face resistance, but, but we're gonna have to determine what resistance is this. Because it could be that that, that resistance, that it, it's an attack from Satan trying to derail us and keeping us from doing what God wants us to do. Or it could be an act of God that's trying to keep us from stepping away from what God's calling us to do. And, and so sometimes the resistance might be God going, no, 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 you, you can't get away from what I'm really trying to get you to do. And other times it's gonna be that Satan's working against us and trying to derail what God wants us to do. Paul actually wrote these words in verse 23. He says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I know that every time I'm traveling, and why is he traveling? He's traveling to share the hope of this good news, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's traveling, just trying to share with people, hey, listen, this Jesus that was crucified, that rose again from the dead, spent 40 days here on earth. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah, the Christ. He's the hope of the world. And he's out there and he's trying to share this, but he knows that the spirit of God is warning him that there is going to be hardships difficulties, even imprisonment as God, as, as God is leading him and he's willing to follow and take those steps of obedience. See, resistance, it isn't an if issue. It's a when issue. That there is going to be resistance. I, I think about resistance, I think about what happened in the early years of ministry for me. It was my first full-time position that I was in. 
And the pastor was going on vacation. I was the youth pastor. And I was asked if I would teach on one of those times that he's gone. And so I, I agreed and I was excited about it. And, and so I did. I, I actually don't even remember what I taught on. Don't remember the direction. Don't remember the focus. Don't remember his passage. Don't remember any of it. But let me tell you what I do remember. I remember when the pastor came back that I got called into the pastor's office. So I get called into the pastor's office and I'm there and, and I sit down and, and he asks me a question about my sermon. And I'm sitting here and I'm trying to be prepared all theological and make sure I, what I taught and everything. And he asks me this question. Did you say use guys from the pulpit? I was not prepared for that question. I, I, it took, to me, it was, I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. Could you say that again? Did you say use guys from the pulpit in your sermon? I don't know, I might have. And he began to let me know how, how that just ruffled, that that's just not something that gets said from the pulpit. And that he had been on the phone with so many people and he'd been trying to put out... But, you guys, that's what people are upset about? Something else that happened at that same church. I had a student, a teenager, come to me and, and say, do you want to know what my mom thinks about you? <laughs> and I was not wise enough to say no. <laughs> and so I said, tell me. And she went on to tell me, she says, well, my mom thinks you missed your calling and that you're not called to the ministry. And at best, you're called to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm telling you, resistance is not an if issue. It is a win issue. We are going to face resistance. When we trust God's process and we keep trying to do what we believe that God's spirit is calling us to do and that we're following, we're not certain, but we're going, hey, even where I'm not certain, I, I, I am certain about what God is wanting me to, I'm not certain about how and when, but resistance is going to happen. It's going to come. And when we do, guess what we have to do? We have to begin to filter through, look, listen to God, look to God and filter through. God, is, is this an act of you, God, so that I don't keep going the direction I shouldn't be going? Or is this an attack from the enemy trying to keep me from doing, God, what you've called me to do? And that we have to discern that. And it's why we have to start by following God's spirit. We, if we don't start there, then we are going to miss what God is wanting to do in us, to us, and through us. God will use our struggles to strengthen us to trust his process. That, that this, there's gonna be struggles within it. And if we will stay true to God and we lean into him. He will strengthen us to trust 
his process. So the last thing I'll share with you when it comes to trusting God's process of what we need to do, and that is that you and I, we are going to have to acquire tenacity. We're going to have to acquire, we're going to have to choose to be tenacious. We're going to have to choose to stick with it. Because if we don't acquire tenacity, we will end up giving up. That, that Paul, outside of Jesus, when we look at our New Testament, Paul was the greatest spiritual leader outside of Jesus. Jesus was the greatest. But Paul was the greatest human spiritual leader that we see in the history of the world. And, and for Paul, when we look at him, that, that, that before he was ever trusted, admired as a Christ follower, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was trying to shut down the spreading of the way of Christ, that this news that was spreading. And he would persecute Christians. He even had Christians put to death. And so when Paul ends up having this supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus, there are people that are going, I'm not sure that was real or is that just a story so that he can get close to us so that he can put us to death. There were people that were very skittish about trusting Paul. He had been known as Saul, changed his name to Paul, and he begins to be used by God. He spent three years from that time being away, not trying to share the good news with anybody and just being discipled and trained. After that three years, he got out and he gave his first sermon. He gave his first message. And the people tried to kill him because of what he said. So then he spent another eight years away. Kept growing and growing. And during these eight years, he even developed a new ability and that was a new skill. And he became a tent maker so that he could begin to pay for the ministry that he wanted to be doing. And he did this. And it wasn't until eight years after this that this guy named Barnabas vouched for Paul. Said, he, he's the real deal. He's the real thing. We, we can trust him. That Paul got out and he began to start leading people to Jesus. And depending on how you count, he either went on three or four missionary journeys to go about the world to share this good news of Jesus. He was tenacious as the spirit of God was leading him out to share Jesus with others. In verse 24, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Just step by step, he just kept taking the next step that he could see to take, that he was just following God's spirit. There, there was this uncertainty and he expected it. There was this resistance and he planned for it. But he acquired tenacity. He was tenacious and not giving up. And when it comes to this idea that we would trust God's process, there will be times that it might be painful. 
There'll be times that it might be difficult. It might be questionable. The, the doubts will, will end up rising up when it comes to trusting God's process. But quitting won't speed things up. It won't speed things up. So don't quit and, and just step back and say, I'm done. Instead, lean in. Like Paul, that he wanted to finish the good fight. He, he knew that he needed to finish the race. And when you are tenaciously obedient today, you will easily see where God wants to lead you tomorrow. I know a lot of us are going, um, God, not just tomorrow though, can you show me where next month or next year or next decade is looking like? And God's saying, you just gotta wait for it. Trust my process. I, I'm gonna lead you along. And trusting God's process, it doesn't let fear and failure get in our way. So I wanna share with you four benefits of trusting God's process. I'll hit them, I'll share these with you quickly. These four benefits of trusting God's process that you will gain more patience when you trust God's process. You will gain more confidence when you trust God's process. You will gain more resilience when you trust God's process. And you will gain more purpose when you trust God's process. Trusting God's process is absolutely worth it. Don't let fear or failure stop you from trusting God's process. And when you do, when you trust God's process, what you're going to discover is that when you trust his process, God's gonna lead you to where you're gonna get to do what you love to do. He's gonna lead you to do something that's gonna make a difference. And he's gonna allow you to discover some friends that you're gonna to get to work with along the way. Trust God's process. Wait on him where you need to wait. But take your step where that lamp is illuminating just enough for you to see that next step. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have a process for leading us, for growing us, for using us. God, I pray that you would make us hungry for your process. Pray that you would strip away any kind of satisfaction in life that's preventing us from looking to see, God, what do you have in store for us? So that we would be willing to follow your spirit God, that, that we would expect some uncertainty, that we would plan on this resistance that's gonna come against us. 
But God, help us to acquire this tenacity that we would stick with where you've led so that we're willing to take our next step and be used by you to make the difference that you've called us to. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.